We talked on last week uh, about how God values relationship over outcome. And he said in Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his way of doing things, and all of these things shall be added unto you. And so what we recognize is that first of all, what we do is we seek what God wants, and then he adds things to us. We seek him. So he really values relationship over uh, the outcome. Many times we focus on the outcome when God wants us to focus on the relationship and allow him to take care of the outcome. So he established a principle through creation. And the principle we talked about was in Genesis chapter 1, verse 11, Genesis 1, 11, And it talks about when God was creating the earth. And the Bible says that then God said, uh, let the earth bring forth grass, the herbs that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. So what God did is that God said in Genesis chapter 1, verse 11, he says that let the earth bring forth a seed. Let it bring forth fruit. He began to speak about that, and there were two things that were really outstanding where he uh, instructed us to do two characteristics of the seed. The first characteristic of the seed was that it would uh, come uh, according to its kind. The fruit would come according to its kind. And the second thing was that the seed would be in itself. And when we look at the, we looked at on last week that uh, every uh, seed, uh, fruit and seed produces after its own kind. And uh, we talked about how a, uh, uh, when a, a bull is bred with a, a cow, it produces a calf, not a lamb. Why? It's because the seed produces after its own kind. You can have various uh, variety in the, in, in, the, in the framework of the same kind. You can have a big cow, a little cow, a black cow, a white cow. You can have a, a, a poodle and a, a cocker spaniel, a cockapoo. Um, because it's the same kind, but it's a variety within that kind. So the seed, as long as it's in within the same kind, can produce. However, what we recognize is that um, a seed that is a different kind cannot reproduce when they come together. And so the Bible tells us very clearly that it's according to every seed that God did, it's according to its own kind. Um, and so we looked at a couple of fruits, and uh, we looked at the apple, we looked at a mango, and do you know what, that mango is very expensive. Can I just share with you that I, when I bit into that mango, it was so juicy, juicy that the juice went into the mic here, and it, uh, it, it short-circuited it. So we had to get another mic for today. And uh, you know how expensive these mics are? So I paid $2.46 for that mango, and it ended up costing $302.46. But it was well worth it. Why? It's because I believe you got the message. Amen? Yes. Would you put your hands together and give God a hand clap for praise for that expensive lesson on last week? And so what we found is that as we looked into the fruit, we saw that we could count how many seeds were in the fruit, but we could not know how many fruit was inside the seed. 
And so we learned then that we cannot go by just what we see, but we must go by what God has said. Why? It's because on the inside of the sea is the voice of God. It's the word of God. Where he spoke it into existence and said, see, you will produce after your own time. And so when it is planted, then now out of obedience that the word of God causes it to fulfill the purpose for which he had spoken. So the Bible tells us it's according to its own kind. The second thing that we found is that the seed is within itself. And so we know then that that that, that seed will produce. And so you can't plant apple seeds and expect to get watermelons. Uh, You can't plant, uh, no matter how much you like watermelons, uh, and I really like watermelon. How many of you know that uh, you can't plant pears seed, a pear seed, and expect cotton. So every seed uh, reproduces after its own kind, and then the seed is in itself. So inside of that fruit is seed that will produce additional fruit that will produce additional uh, trees. And so the foundational scripture for this series is found in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 through 19. And uh, champions, we're going to read that together like we know it is the word of his power. Let's read it together now. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything. Now, I want you to focus right here. It says that those who are rich in this present world, and we established last week that you are rich, amen? We established that. One is because uh, Pew Research did a... uh, uh, an evaluation of the, of the world population, the global population, what they found was that 90% of the people that are uh, in, uh, living in America are in the upper middle class or higher as it relates to those that are in uh, throughout the, uh, the world. And so as a result of that, you are rich. And really, anyone who's accepted Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that we, God has given us everything. So you are rich. One more time, would you say, I am rich. And so uh, the Bible says, command those who are rich. Would you say, that's me? That's me. Uh, Not to put, be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, because wealth is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides. And so notice this, it tells us who provides whatever it is that we receive. And who is it, church? God. God. God provides what we receive. And, he, and you know what I love about it? It says that he not only just provided, but he richly provides us with everything we need for our enjoyment. Verse 18, let's read it together. Now, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Verse 19, in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So notice this, the Bible says that there is a life that is truly life. Not a life that we think is life, but there is a life that is truly life. And so it tells us that we are to be rich in good deeds and be generous and willing to share. And then what we recognize is that we now are taking hold of the life that is truly life. And so God values relationship over outcome. Would you say that with me? God values values. 
my relationship with him over what I expect. My God. So he values the relationship over what you're expecting him to do for you. Now what's beautiful about that is that we find then in the book of, I believe it's in the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 6, verse 21. It says, for where your treasure is, is there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart, and a treasure is something that is valued, some, valuable, something that you, you prize. It can, be, uh, it can contain a number of different things, including money. So the Bible says that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And what this is really telling us is that your heart follows your money. Wow. Your heart follows your treasure. And many times we think that what I love or what my heart is, that's where my treasure will be. Uh, 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 but, your, but your heart actually follows your treasure. And the reason why that is so is because they're connected together. And so what you invest in, what you put your money in, your heart begins to appreciate and value that thing. Now, when we look at this, then we recognize that God has instructed us in the book of Proverbs, uh, 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 chapter 23, verse 26. Uh, Proverbs 23, verse 26. He says, my son, give me your what? Give me your heart and let your eyes delight in my way. So he says that, look, what I want you to do is you're just focused on the relationship and let me take care of everything else. So you give me your heart, and when you give me your heart, then the things, Matthew 6, will be added unto you. Or you just sit back and delight in what I do because I have your heart. Do you know what I began to think about? I began to think about that heart and, and, and the things and how much of a struggle it is for us because... There's a phrase that's, that goes like this, says the heart wants what it wants. And if you've not heard that, it says the heart wants what it wants. And, and when we think about the heart, it's used in many ways as an emotional figure of speech. Uh, and, and so when we say that the heart wants what it wants, um, yes and no. And the reason is because when you think about your heart and you think about love, that you cannot make your heart love someone no matter how attractive they are to you. Can't do it. And you cannot make your heart um, dislike someone no matter how unattractive they are to you. And when I mean unattractive, I'm not talking about physical. I'm talking about features. I'm talking about character, characteristics. So you can't make your heart love someone. And you can't make your heart not love someone. But what you can do is you can have actions that creates the likelihood that you'll love them. Let me, let me, let me give you an example of that. One example of deciding to do things that will increase the likelihood that you'll fall in love with someone. One example is having a deep, intimate conversations. Deep, intimate conversations. Another one is that you uh, look into their eyes. And another one is that you spend time together. Spend time together. Uh, now, you can try and dislike someone by avoiding them, focusing on the negative attributes, and having thoughts about them that are negative, and these thoughts can become so real 
that it will make you dislike them. So those are actions that will cause you, that will increase the likelihood of you to fall in love with someone or not to love someone. So what we can see then is that we can see then that uh, our thoughts or our brain has a way of conditioning our hearts. And so as the heart, what the, the heart wants, what the heart wants sometimes, but the heart wants sometimes what your brain wants. Now, when I look at that and I was reading about how you can increase the likelihood, one of the things we have to do with God is that we fall in love with him by doing things that increase the likelihood to allow us to fall in love with him. Uh, I was thinking about that when uh, Gwen and I, we had our first date, and you know I've told you that many times. But when I talk about the things you can do to increase the likelihood that you'll fall in love with someone, and, I, and uh, when I thought about how you can have deep, intimate conversations with them, when I, thought, when I thought about looking into their eyes, you know what, I went right back to that Kips when Gwen and I had our first date. Yeah, see what happened is that after we had our first date and we met each other, uh, it was really late in the evening. And so the only place that was open was a place called Kips. Anybody familiar with Kips? Yeah, yeah, a couple of people. And so Kips, we went to Kips. I remember, I remember we sat at Kips. And so Gwen got some chicken wings. I don't know what I got. I just know what she got because she didn't eat them. And so I saw them at the end, just as I saw them in the beginning. <laughs> she didn't eat hers, but, but I remember her posture. And she sat there. And while I was eating, she was just looking at me like that. And I, now, I, when I read that, I began, and I, I thought about that, it was like I began to recognize what she was doing. She was increasing the likelihood to fall in love with me. Because she was looking into my eyes. And you know how I know that? It's because when I walked her back and I, and I opened the car door and I took her to the front door. And when I took her to the front door and she turned around and she looked up at me, she got weak in the knees and she said, don't say it. Don't say it. And just that quickly, she had fallen in love. And her heart wanted what her heart wanted. You know what? In many ways, we, we laugh about that, but it's a true thing that because... That's what our relationship with God should be like. And, and, and when we look at that and when we begin to think about that, we, we, we recognize then that God values relationship over outcome. So what I want you to do is I want you to really disconnect yourself from thinking about what you can get from God to what God wants for you. Uh, and I want you to notice this, this graphic here, if you would take a look at this, that because of our relationship with Jesus Christ, because of our relationship with him, um, what happens here is that we have a relationship with Jesus. And because of our relationship with him, that we recognize then that out of our relationship in Matthew 6.33, that God provides what we need. He is the provider. First Timothy 6 says that put your hope in God who provides everything. So God is the provider. And we receive what he has provided. And because we receive what he has provided, we become grateful for what he has provided to us and for us. And therefore, we recognize him because of our gratitude. And in recognizing him, 
we are willing to release what he has provided because we trust in the relationship that what he has provided in the past, he will continue to provide in our future. And so what we recognize is that everything comes out of our relationship. Our relationship with him, he provides, and when he provides, we receive it. We're grateful for what he has provided. We recognize that, and we're willing to release what he's provided. Why? It's because we are fully persuaded that he was a God who will continuously provide. Now, now what we look at here is that we look at this in many ways as a seed form or seed type. Because what we release is what God has already given to us, and it's released in seed form. This is a cycle that takes place. And you know what? The only way, if you, just, if you just hold on, if you just recognize it right here, or you just receive what he has, but you never release it, then what you have will ultimately be used up. It will go uncertain. It, the Bible says it's uncertain, so you don't know what you'll need or have for the future. But the Bible tells us that as we release, then God provides and it becomes a, a, a cycle where we have more, where God gives us more. Why? It's because we've demonstrated our trust in him according to his word. And so our God values relationship over outcome. And as a result of that, we recognize that because of our relationship with Jesus Christ and our relationship with him, God is the provider and because God provides, we receive what he has provided. We are grateful for what God has provided and we show our gratitude by releasing it fully persuaded that we trust him and he will continue to provide for us. Now let's go back to uh, uh, back up and let's look at 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19 again. And as we look at that, he says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in who? God. Put their hope in God. Why do we put our hope in him? Because he is the one who provides us with everything we need to have a life that enjoys living. So that's what God is looking for on our behalf. So what he will do is he will speak something to you that does not make sense. And we hear his voice, but when we obey his voice, then God says, just as he said with Abraham, now I know. And then God continuously become our provider simply because of our faith or trust that we have in him. I want you to go over to the book of 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. Because as we go over there, this is the concept of the seed that there must always be a release. And we have to release in order to have a provision. Because if you never release, you'll always use up what you have. But it's the concept of the seed, and that is that we release, and because we release, we release, and we receive provision from our release when it's done in faith. First Kings chapter 17, this is the story of Elijah, and uh, it's a story of two individuals that are at two different places, but who ultimately sees the provision of God and how God provides. Uh, there's one individual that doesn't have anything, but he just has his faith. There's another individual that has everything that they need at the moment, but they do not have what they need for the future. And each one of them have to trust God to provide according to what he has said. Now, um, this is the story of Elijah, and it's an interesting story because Elijah um, has 
uh, obeyed God. He's, he's, he's been faithful to God. And, um, and, 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 and as he's declared his faith in God, he's, that he's seen God do some pretty miraculous things. Uh, he went up by himself against uh, 450 prophets and God demonstrated his power by consuming the sacrifice. So everyone knew that he was God. But after that time, Elijah uh, was threatened by, the, by uh, a woman by the name of Jezebel. And she was the wife of, king, of the king. So Elijah began to run for his life. And there was a famine in the land. And as this famine set in the land, the Bible tells us that Elijah was by the brook Cherith. And God was bringing, he was providing for him right there. He was bringing food to him from a raven. And God was watering him at the brook of Cherith. But, but God spoke to him and says, Elijah, I want you to trust me more. Trust that I will provide for you. And so in uh, 1 uh, Kings chapter 17, let's look at verse 9. In verse 9, we'll start there. And it says, God tells him, he says that, I want you to go out at once to, the, to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, and I want you to stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. Now, this should blow Elijah's mind, and the reason that it should blow his mind is because uh, the famine has, has ramped up, and it's worse than it was when he was initially by the brook. But, but a prophet is going to go to the lowest person to have his provisions, his needs met. Because no one went to a widow to have their needs met. The widow went to others. So notice this, verse 10. So he went to Zarephath, he obeyed God. And when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and asked, what, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink. And as she was going to get it, he called. And then he says, notice this. He called to her and he says, bring me, please, a piece of bread. Now she's okay to bring him some water. But to bring you some food, my last meal, I'm not so okay with that. I've got more water than I need, but I have a limited supply of bread. So he says to her, would you bring me a little water? And as she was going, he, get it, he called out and says, bring me a piece of bread. Verse 12. And as surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. And I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and what? Die. What's interesting now is that she had everything that she needed to obey God. But if she obeyed God, she had to trust that God would provide her beyond what she knew she had. How much faith does that take? My God, just think about it. How much faith does that, does that take? She's got what she needs to fulfill and obey God. But yet Elijah has to rely on her to provide for him. Verse 13. Now, Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. 
Go home and do as you have said. But first make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. Wait, wait a minute now. She's already said to him, I only have enough to bake just for me and my son. And then after we eat this, then we're set up to die because I have no more. But Elijah speaks a word to her and he gives us a word that is prophetic. And he says, look, when you make a bread for me, uh, make some bread for me, then you can make some bread for you and your son. But first you've got to obey what God has said. Verse 14. Let's read it together now. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. Oh my gosh, who are you going to believe? Is he trying to scam her to get a meal? Is he trying to get something from her? Or is he trying to get something for her? Verse 15. Let's read it together now. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Eve and for the, and her, oh my God. A simple act of obedience with what seems like an irresponsible request. A simple act of obedience. For the jar of oil was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Now I want to share something with you. First of all, this woman had to be open to hear what God was saying. And Elijah had to be open to, to believe what God was saying. Now God did not tell the woman, according to the Bible, it does not record, that he told her what would be the benefit of her obeying him. He just told her what to do. Now, this is very important because this woman didn't just give away her last simply because she wanted God to do something for her. So this is very important, is that God spoke to her before Elijah ever got there. What did he say? He says, Elijah, there is a widow in Zarephath that I have instructed to provide for you. So God spoke to the widow before she ever met Elijah. God told Elijah where his provision was. And so when Elijah came to where the widow was and he spoke and he said that, uh, make me a piece of bread. And he began to tell her the word of the Lord. Then now this woman began to obey. She had everything that she needed to obey God. And as she obeyed, there was a famine in the land. And she was going to have one meal and she and her son would die. But because she saw this meal as a seed according to what God had provided her to obey him, then she ended up with meal for over three years for as long as the famine lasted. There's this thing about uh, our treasure, our time. And there are, when we think about treasure, when we think about what we have. There are two things we primarily have. We have time and we have money. Let's say it like this. We have time and we have money. And then there's also a talent. 
But there are two things we have, time and money. And when you give your time to something, you receive money. When you give your money, you are giving to someone. If, if I gave you $500, I would also be giving you my time that it took for me to receive that $500. So not only did I give you my money, but I also gave you my time. Now, God gives us time. God gives us talent. And we are rewarded with money or resources. And so notice what happens is that when God gives me a talent and I commit my time, then I receive money. When I offer it back in obedience to God, that I am giving him back what he has given me, the talent and the time. And when that happens, the Bible says that whatever we give to God, that he gives back to us, but he gives it back to us in a greater measure than what we gave to him. This woman at Zarephath, the widow at Zarephath, it's really interesting because when we, when we look at it and we begin to refocus on what she did, and I want you to reflect on a couple of things because... It's so important that when we talk about that God values the relationship over the outcome, when Elijah said to this woman, so this is what the Lord says, that um, you and your son, you and your family will have sufficiency. You'll have meals to eat. You won't go hungry. She could have focused on that even though she had not seen God and it may not have produced for her. What she did is she focused on what God has said. And that's why the relationship is so important than the outcome. That's why uh, God says, I want you to give me your heart. And out of your heart, you'll obey me. And because you have obeyed me, then now sit back and delight in the things that I bring your way. See, if, we, if our heart is toward him, if our heart is for him, if we have his heart, if he has our heart, then when God speaks to us, we can clearly hear him. Why? It's because we have already fallen in love with him by, one, having deep, intimate conversations with him. That's called what? Prayer. By looking into his eyes, that's called a relationship where he walks with us, we walk with him, and it doesn't matter what time of the day it is. And by spending time with him, no matter where we are, no matter where we go, he's with us. And we recognize his presence. And do you know what? It increases the likelihood that your heart will be for him. And as your heart is for him, that you can hear his voice. And because you can hear his voice, that when God speaks to you, you obey him. And God says that I honor the relationship. Now here is the outcome. One last story that I'll tell you and I'll share this with you as our team comes. The ultimate relationship is really what God is looking for. The Bible says in the book of Matthew chapter 3, it says that what happened when Jesus was being baptized, that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit was in the same place. The voice came from heaven and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And I began to wonder, God, why are you pleased with Jesus? Jesus at this point had not done any miracles. He had not fulfilled the purpose for which he had come to the earth to do. Why are you pleased with him? And you know what? When God said that this is my son, he identified the relationship and the relationship that Jesus had with him was what pleased him. Naturally, uh, I began to think about, uh, when I think about that relationship, when I meet, read Matthew 3, I think about when Justin, our firstborn child, 
was in uh, Montessori. And we went to Thanksgiving where they were, they were singing, the whole class, the entire class were singing. And as they began to sing, they gathered together on a platform on risers. And these kids looked a lot of different ways. Some would turn this way, some would turn with their backs to the audience. Some, one guy was picking in the other, uh, one kid was picking in the other kid's ear. One of them fell off the back of the riser. When they began to sing, it wasn't pretty. It didn't even sound good. But as they continued to sing, I was amazed because when they finished, everybody in the room started standing up and they started clapping and, and woo! I mean, their voices were lifted and they were just cheerleading them on. And as we went to the back of the room for refreshments, I began to think, my God, that was horrible. <laughs> that was terrible. That didn't even sound good. Why is it that we stood up and gave them a standing ovation, we were clapping our hands, we were cheering? It was because we were all related. And because we were related to him, we were celebrating not their performance, but we were celebrating their relationship. And that's what God does when he has our heart. He celebrates our relationship with him. And out of that celebration, we see things that we need that he has provided for our enjoyment. And then out of our enjoyment, we celebrate him. And then out of our celebration, he provides things. And it becomes a cycle where your life goes from performance to relationship and from sadness and heartbreak to peace. And you have a joy that the world did not give it to you and the world cannot take it away. And so no matter what situations and circumstances that you go through, you remember the psalmist who says, if it had not been for the Lord on my side, where would I be? Because of his love for us and our love for him, he provides, we receive. Because we receive, we are so grateful for this relationship. And then because we are grateful, we respond to that in our worship and our praise and how we serve him and represent him no matter where we go. And then we release what he has given to us because we trust and we are fully persuaded that just as he provided in the past, he'll provide today, he'll provide tomorrow. And so we lean not on our own understanding, but in all of our ways and at all our time, we trust him as our provider. And do you know what? You may have right now one meal. You may have bread, jar of olive oil, some flour, water, and it could just be just enough for today. But first I'd say your relationship with God is what matters. You hear his voice. You obey his voice. And watch and see what he does.